humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and the Social Sciences, the hashtag hashchat podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Pete Collins, and we're talking about coding, AI, and STEM. All right, so I'm joined uh, in this episode by uh, someone who you've probably seen splashed around on all the news media, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. He once won the Corsi, but only once. It's Mr. Pete Collins. G'day, Mark. Great to be here, man. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for uh, the Over Humanities and the Social Sciences podcast. Um, would you like to give us a bit of a background about your uh, role in education before we get started? Okay, so just going into my 15th year of teaching in uh, secondary schools. Uh, most of that in Catholic education, uh, most of it teaching in TAS, but also qualified and have taught in the area of geography uh, and religious education as well. So it's a bit of the technology and humanities is kind of my kind of area. So great to be able to be here and have a chat with you about it. Yeah, good. So look, we're going to have a, a chat about a wide variety of things. Um, specifically, we want to sort of like nut down on STEM, some great work you're doing in STEM that we'll have a chat about, which has uh, made you uh, splashed all over the news media lately. Um <laughs> looking at coding AI. I've got some great questions I'm going to throw you away and sort of stump you with. Um, Looking forward to it. Pete's a great colleague of mine. I do love goading him uh, into into debates about false dichotomies. <laughs> oh, Ben is a great thing. It's a wonderful professional development tool, Mark, as mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so look, let's get started with what is this STEM balloon launch that you were involved with with your students? Okay, so that story starts back in 2016 when I had a group of year eight students, uh, a couple of them in my tech class at the time, that that had come across a competition on the web that our diocese was running and they wanted to get involved in it. And so I agreed to be their sort of mentor teacher for that. And that basically involved them um, writing some code on an Arduino system uh, under the premise of, of developing a, a computerized um, probe that could be launched to, to space or near space. Um, and so they designed and developed that. And the idea of that competition was for them to, to design it in theory, essentially. So they had diagrams, they had computer code that w- was functional on an Arduino system using the Arduino language, which is a spin-off from C, for those that know their programming languages, and, uh, and then essentially, um, yeah, develop all the other things around that in terms of what would they like to find out if they were able to send this probe to space. And so they documented that on a blog, and all that was submitted as part of a competition in, towards the end of 2016. And those students actually won that competition, and on a speed equation, so shout out to those guys. Fast forward now to this year, 2018, they're now in year 10, those students, and part of the prize for winning that competition apart from some spheros and some other STEM gear, was for them to actually then go and launch their design, or what it turned out to be was actually redesign their design so it would physically be able to make the trip to near space and to actually launch it. And we did that just on the weekend, which was amazing. Great. Now, look, so what was the what was the purpose of this whole thing in the first place? What were they trying to achieve here? Okay. So were they trying to win the competition okay. or were they trying to achieve something as well? So, well, both. I mean, for them, I, from, from a teacher's point of view, I think... The great achievement of it is their development of skill, um, particularly obviously in the area of STEM. So um, this is an opportunity for them to apply science, mathematics, computer coding, um, uh, engineering, science to a particular project. And, and a number of these kids are um, probably at the more gifted end of the spectrum, if I can put it that way. And so something for them to further their, their skills and their knowledge and, and to keep them um, engaged in, in learning at school. So that was really where it was coming from. Uh, and this gave them a great opportunity to do that, but also through it, because some of them, you know, were, were still very um, developmental in terms of their social skills. Some of them, on various spectrums in terms of um, in terms of that, and and so this has given them an opportunity not only to develop all their STEM skills, but a whole bunch of soft skills that go with it as well: project management, time management, 
working with others and socialize, working with adults, which we know a lot of kids struggle with sometimes in terms of the social cues and that that adults work with them. And so these kids have, in recent weeks, had to work with the media, work with um, a number of adults that specialize in different areas of STEM. So that connection to real world has, has been huge to it as well. Amazing. You mentioned the, uh, the, the word soft skills. Yes. Which I will uh, will delve into a bit more later on. Um, okay, so what use this word soft advisedly, Marco? As you know, what uh, what uh, what kind of data are they taking from this knee uh, knee space experience? Okay, sure. So two what are they collecting while they're up there? So two trip computers were sent up. Uh, the SD card. They were gathering all sorts of telemetry. So we're talking about. Um, <laughs> so, Sorry, Pete's phones just went off. Series just over to yeah. Um, so collected a whole bunch of data around um, what are the atmospheric conditions like at those altitudes. So got up to about one hundred and twelve thousand feet, or thirty four mm. kilometers above the Earth's surface. So, so they had a camera attached. So what does it look like from up there? What are the atmospheric conditions up there? What then um, does that help us learn about? Because apparently we're advised that those conditions are very similar to those on Mars. So this is the connection here. So they then sent up a whole bunch of experimental things, seeds, popcorns, chocolates, things like that, to see how they would perform in those conditions. Uh, and the view being that you know perhaps in the future there's possibly colonising beyond Earth. Mm. And so some of their findings, um, both in terms of how the balloon and the probe performed up there, speeds, you know, thickness of the atmosphere, um, radiation levels, things like that, uh, ultimately could help answer some of the questions in the future about how we sustain life in some of these places that are different conditions to Earth. Okay. Yeah. I'll draw your attention to a, a tweet. Sure. Sent by, um, not sent by someone, but I just saw it through my, on my feed uh, in November of 2018. That simply says, stop telling kids to learn to code. AI will take the coding jobs faster than you can think. Teach kids to think, to create, to use tech well, to think critically about ethics, values, and institutions. They'll be amazing engineers or whatever else they want to be. Also, hang on, I can see you already get started. Yeah. Also, in a future where AI takes most of the jobs, it'll be creative roles where humans will still excel. Humans are supercomputers for inventing new worlds in art, music, literature, film, games. AI will take the finance, legal, and coding jobs. That's by a German called De I don't even know if I'm saying his name properly right, but Dex Torik Barton. Um, I Dex, saw that. Uh, yeah. I saw that, and I thought, okay, let's. This will be the great, uh, a great starting point for this conversation I wanted to have with you. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> coding sucks. <laughs> Where do let's I even go. start, Margo? Where do I even start? Um, I agree with some of what your learned friend there is saying. Um, I disagree vehemently on a couple of points. Um, I, I agree that you know humanity and our focus around creativity and those creative skills and problem-solving skills has got to be where all of our education is focused at. No arguments there from me whatsoever. Um, I would argue that coding actually provides an amazing opportunity to develop all of those skills and more uh, at this particular point in time. The question of where artificial intelligence fits in um, is a little bit complicated because you need coding to make artificial intelligence in the first place. Okay. Uh, and you also need people to understand it and control it, ultimately to keep humanity safe, I would argue. So telling kids not to, to learn it per se without qualifying that, I think is a bit of a concern. Um, because that's the thing with coding. Coding is all about problem solving. It's about working with uh, a language set to essentially give the instructions to a computer to be able to solve a problem. And so to do that well as a human, you've kind of got to solve the problem yourself first. 
mm-hmm. in order to find the best way to get the computer then to, to help you. And that's that's the art of coding. And I, I would say there's a whole bunch of creativity that has to be in that and, and problem solving and creative thinking because you've got to yeah work through and figure out the solution to these problems and encode it in a very abstract kind of way. Can I just jump in? Sure. Just because, look, a disclaimer here, a little, uh, little asterisk and just say, you know, terms and conditions apply here. Disclaimer, I don't actually think coding sucks. I just love goading you. So um, don't write <laughs> Quite in. Taken. Don't write in taking it personally and don't send me angry tweets saying how do I, I, I don't mind it. Um, I just love annoying Pete more. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> coding, you can code AI, right? Mm-hmm. So what's stopping that? AI then learning how to then code, thus putting that original code out of a job and making them basically pointless. Okay, we're well, starting to better understand it, to tweak with it, to, to mm. manage it. You know, it's a bit like, uh, a bit like saying, well, we've got super athletes out there that can play every sport, so there's no point kids learning sports. We'll just pick the ones that are genetically set up to be great athletes, and it's the same thing, right? Uh, so if if that's all we focus on, that's the way we did things. There'd be a whole lot of aspects of the world we miss out on, and also being human, the opportunity to draw on those skills in other contexts would be lost. So I think that's part of the case here, that some of the skills you can learn through computer programming are cross-contextual. You know, there's a big push at the moment in career-wise that people that at the moment that have computing skills plus skills in another area, and it could be in the music and the writing, the creativity that you talked about earlier, it could be in the humanities, it could be bringing those together is what's really shaping where much of our workforce is going at the moment. How that will look in the future, it's mm. a great question. Mm. Um, and as we probably both agree, the curriculum's struggling to keep up with that. Yeah. So that's that's a big challenge in the education world is to try and anticipate where it's going and, and have curriculum that matches that. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, 21st sure. century and uh, the shape of the future curriculum in a minute. Um, how do you stop uh, Skynet from uh, happening then, from AI becoming uh, aware of itself and wanting to then break down, uh, bring down humanity? I think absolutely. <laughs> having, having more people that understand how computers work, how that technology works, how coding works, right, so that we can effectively manage it. Because ultimately to manage some of this stuff, we're going to need um, policy makers, creative arts people that can um, that can harness it to be a good thing and a better to betterment of humanity. To better humanity if I can say it that way. Uh, and so if we just leave it as a black box and say, well the computers will look up themselves and they'll learn it themselves, that rings alarm bells for me. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where we could get ourselves in trouble if we leave it that way. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, look, uh, I did. Um, I, I purposely didn't uh, mention you in this Twitter thread just so I can throw some questions at you. Unseen. <laughs> sure. I did put out a call out to my followers um, and I said I was going to be doing a podcast episode on STEM coding AI. Throw me some of your questions, good questions, bad questions, whatever you want to say. And you have no idea what I'm about to ask you, but the few okay. things that some people did uh, write in, and I'm not going to mention who they are, just in case they don't want themselves to be mentioned. I'll stalk your Twitter feed later. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, all right, so, no, I'll be good, I'll be good. Um, look at students with disabilities or illnesses. Um, and this is more of a question, but more of a, I guess more of a statement that you can probably look at. So um, looking at use and costs of AI and robotics for students with a range of disabilities and illnesses, mm-hmm. Um, no, students that are absent periodically or can't attend school because of risk of infection. Um, and looking also at autistic students who benefit from a robot-friendly class. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on all that? Great. I can't see an issue with that at all. Uh, I know of students already. I know um, a family relative of mine in, in the US uh, has benefited from that sort of technology. They are wheelchair-bound um, and, and born with um, spine bifida and that kind of thing. And so um, it's affected their, their ability to speech, but they've got a computer that's attached to their, um, 
to their wheelchair that allows them to, to communicate and to, to speak and to the point that they've hosted concerts, benefit concerts for the particular school they go to over in California. So I think in, from that point of view, I think technology is a great thing. Um, you know, and we already know that we've got animals out there that have been successful in terms of being supports for, for people. And I, I think robotics potentially be a natural extension of that. Again, coming back to what I said before, though, as long as the control around it can be maintained. Okay. Yeah. Um, this only this question here uh, we may have already sort of covered, but however, it's sort of worded in a different way, so it might um, elicit a different response. So, sure. why teach coding when actual coding is offshored or done by machines? If it's not to get a job, is there intrinsic value in coding? Mm, absolutely, absolutely, there's intrinsic value in it. I mentioned the problem solving skills. I mentioned some of the soft skills before, um, but I still think there's a lot of careers at the moment and will be for the foreseeable future that that are going to be underpinned by some level of understanding of computer programming or coding or computer sciences. Um, I think there's a wider, uh, a wider benefit there as well in terms of um, the skills that are built up around systems thinking. I look at a lot of the problems we've got in the world at the moment, whether it's in the political scene, even within schools and the way they work, in you know, where there's a lot of inefficiencies, a lot of um, lack of consideration of uh, where humans fit into it and trying to essentially put a good, an effective system in place that, it, that incorporates humans but also the technology and um, a lot of what I teach in IPT actually but I think there's an opportunity there that the more people that are skilled in this area that can build up systems thinking we can have better solutions to problems you've only got to look at the recent uh, census a couple of years ago and the disaster around that mm-hmm. and then even more recently the, um, the attempts to automise what was happening at Centrelink uh, and all of that going belly up because we've got this advanced technology that not enough people know how to operate and work with it and to make it work properly. Yeah. Okay. Last question and sure. and or comment, um, and then we'll, we'll tackle the easy the easy question of what's wrong with education at the moment. Sure. Um, where and how do these skills fit into a society that needs citizens to be critical thinkers? Are we developing skills without the context required for our society? Are we so enamoured with bright, shiny things that we have forgotten other equally important subjects? Okay. Loaded question. Mm. Uh, so, I, I can't deny that there is an element of the shiny things bug, if you like, mm-hmm. um, that's infiltrated education. There's probably been some decisions are made based around the excitement of shiny things and, and not enough follow-up to support the real, genuine embedding of that in the education. And I'm sure we'll come back to that. Uh, first part of the question, just remind me. Oh, sorry. Um, first part of the question was, oh, where have I put it here? Okay, let me just find it here. Technology, eh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, right um, for where and how do these skills yes. fit into a society okay. that needs citizens to be critical thinkers? Are we developing skills without the context required for our society? Okay, so genuine computer coding requires absolute critical thinking. All right, because often we write a piece of code it's not perfect, we then have to go through and critically analyze that code to get it to work. Point, literally debug it, work out where the problem is. Um, we've also got to take a critical view to, to systems and to the way the world's working in order to find the problems where computer code or technology or whatever may be of assistance. So I think the skills can be developed through through coding. I think it's not the only way, but I think it's, it's one of. Mm. I think that can support a better world. Um, yeah. So let's go back to the... Um the, the, the shiny thing. Yes. Is that, is that a legitimate concern that you have? 
Not not just in any in any context. We're not picking a specific school or you know mm-hmm. any particular system, but in a general context, is that a genuine concern for you? Where people buy stuff because it looks good, but then either don't have any idea how to use it, and or have any idea how to integrate it into pedagogy, where then the technology becomes the pedagogy rather than the technology supporting the pedagogy. Yeah, I think that's that's a risk. I think it's particularly a risk at the moment. Um, with Australian curriculum, uh, in the Australian context, mm-hmm. I think we're really caught at the moment, um, and if I bring it to New South Wales context, even more so, uh, because we still have um, a number of instruments that dominate often the way many schools work or decisions are made within from the government down in, in terms of the education area um, that are pen and paper exams. I had a conversation yesterday about this exactly is that point that we've got parents spending money on on various devices or shiny devices, as you say, to support learning, but at the end of the day, the HSE exam they sit is is a written paper, Mm -hmm. pen and paper examination. So I think that creates a really confusing atmosphere for teachers then to try and look at a device like that and go, well, do I invest my time in really trying to get on top of this technology and use it Mm -hmm. when when I've got kids that can't, that that their handwriting is deteriorating because that's all they've been exposed to for a long period of time and they're losing those kind of skills and yet that's what they need to do in the HSC. Yeah, exactly. So I've seen a situation where, uh, you know, where, where that has, has manifested itself and we've got teachers that, um, yeah, that are teaching basic handwriting skills to 11 and 12 students because that's what will help them get numbers on a, on a, a page in a HSC exam that's then going to give back numbers to, you know, the school to get yeah, to the yeah. university or whatever else. Yet, you know, I would dare say, sorry, out there a number like 90-odd percent of jobs out there Pen and paper schools are probably not the top not, priority. Not top priority, the absolutely. Yeah. I'm on a detail. Most of it's yeah. probably most communications probably electronic. You know, where yeah. you're scanning passes. They don't even use pen and paper to sign for a parcel you pick up from the post office. So, or oh, I picked up a post uh, a a parcel um, recently, and that you just get sign a stylus and sign on the screen. And um, yeah. I, I do I do always mention to my students though that uh, you know, for example, the you know. You, the, when you write a word on paper, you don't get that automatic red squiggly line that tells you it's spelt wrong. Mm-hmm. The basic skills are still important, though. Well, it comes back to the AI question, doesn't it, Marco? I mean, AI in a sense, if you look at some of the software that's out there now, um, Grammarly and things like that, it is a form of AI that just goes through and checks your your, your code, like say, and brings the squiggly lines up and that sort of stuff, or not your code, your written word, and, yep. as that may be. Uh, you know, that already exists there. So, and we'll combine the spell checkers as they get better, you know, how important is spelling going to be in the future? You know, particularly, <laughs> so, particularly so, when, where, when you look at the development of technology, we're using a microphone right at the moment. If this was going into, as you can do, as you know, you can do in a Google Doc or something like that that can record our speech to text. And that technology is getting better and better all the time. You know, we've got Apple Watches now where you can speak to your watch and all this. As that develops, so, uh, so spelling, uh, spelling, spelling is important not important then. I, I'm not going to be boxed in quite into that corner. Um, play the politician card here, but are you saying <laughs> that it's okay to not know how to spell? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm questioning the proportion of time, money, and resources spent yeah. in developing that versus other skills, and yeah. whether we've got the balance right. Okay, look, let's um, let's delve right into the third and final thing we're going to talk about. Um, the easy, easy question of what's wrong with our current education system. Mm. Would you like to start? Or? Sure, I would love to start on that question because I think we've started to sort of go there anyways in the previous question and that is that we are caught where 
we've got to push from industry, we've got to push from various areas in the sector, or very, we've got to push from various, um, you know, sections within our sector for the uptake of, of technology. We know that many of the careers that the students we're teaching right now are going into, that's going to be an important part of it. But yeah, we've got a system that, um, as I said, is still got key checking points that at this point in time are pen and paper. And I think that creates a, a real big challenge, a, a divide, if you like, mm -hmm. um, amongst, amongst parents, amongst students, and amongst uh, teachers as to where we should be putting our energies. So instead of putting our energies into improving what's going on with students, we've got this divide going on. We don't know whether we should fully commit to technology as, as the main means for education and being an important part of the pedagogy, the day-to-day -day that happens, yeah. or do we keep pen and paper going? And we can't make a clear, at the moment, decision either way. Until such time as we've got a curriculum and a, uh, a, you know, a set of assessment or pathways for students beyond, particularly from a high school point of view, um, until we make that clarity, I think we're going to have this divide. I think that's, and I think that is literally halving the resources we're putting into um, trying to get the best out of our students. So, okay, what can we do to fix our education system then? What do you recommend? Okay, so curriculum review. I know there's a massive one on at the moment in, in New South Wales, and we've got the Australian curriculum coming as well. Yep. I However, think, the Australian, I think, it's, it's worth noting to our uh, uh, the interstate uh, listeners mm -hmm. that even though there's an Australian curriculum, New South Wales still sets its own. Correct. The Education Based Act of um, whenever it was, one, yeah, yeah. the New South Wales Education Act states that we must teach New South Wales syllabuses in New South Wales. Which so is similar to the law. Australian one, however, it's yeah. it's modified a little bit. So there's still yes. not one so taking the Australian one on board and basically yeah yeah. So there's no one true single Australian curriculum in a way. No, not until the law changes in New South Wales, effectively. But it's a matter for our. That's a whole other. Well, that's yeah. that'll be a whole other episode. A whole other podcast, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, so yeah, so that that is that is a, a challenge in itself. Um, the fact that yeah. We essentially have education divided amongst state lines and territory lines mm -hmm. in this country. We have, and the next part of that then is also because of that, we have very different kind of pathways, particularly from a high school point of view, come end of year 12, moving on to post-school opportunities, particularly in the area of tertiary education. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's another big problem for us. Um, we've just gone through the media storm around and it'll come up again in the next couple of weeks as results come out for this year's HSC and around ATARs and things like that, there's so much pressure around that, and I know you and I have seen the impact on, on students, both positive and negative. Oh, students, parents, teachers, parents, principals, everyone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and so, so there's that concern, but it's also then, the other big trend that I've noticed in the last four or five years is, is the early entry pathway in universities as well. And it's sort of undermining the, the data, if you like, that comes back from HSE results because, you know, once upon a time, students strove for their best and that was it. Yep. Now it's about getting game, into the right game, course and, and by gaming, gaming the system. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I think if we can change that around, so either dispense with, for me, if it was me, if I was education minister tomorrow and I had the opportunity to come and make the changes, yep. right, hypothetically what I would do, I would be looking to um, remove the HSC in its current form. Completely. As in, okay, be specific. Do you mean the HSC exam or the HSC, right. the whole okay. HSC? So the, like, what, do you, what do you mean? The, the external exams themselves. Okay. So right. I think one of the biggest... So not the way the HSC is at the moment in terms of year 12 with how it's done, but the actual end of... The exam. Point exam. Okay. Okay. Because the problem, particularly I see it in, in the courses that I teach um, in the area of TAS and computing, is that 
we teach all these these skills and this wonderful. We'll try and do deep learning in those in those courses. Mm -hmm. We then have to prepare the students at the end of that for a written exam yep. based on dot points in the syllabus, with very little scope as to how detailed one must cover those those dot points. And it's an exam that basically a panel sits down and writes mid year. They look at this document, they interpret it their way, yep. and they write this this paper. And those questions can be sometimes very black and white and specific, they can be very vague, they can be all sorts of things, and we're then using that as a measure to come up with a number. Or it's worth. Yes. Um, but a lot of the research out there is showing that the deep learning, real-world learning, project-based learning, all of these things, and all the soft skills that we mentioned earlier, yep. um, can't really be well assessed through that method. In fact, yep. it's one of the poorer methods for trying to work out all those things, the creative thinking skills, the problem-solving, the um, all those kinds of skills creative thinking, the, the musical pursuits are very difficult to measure mm -hmm. through a written exam paper. The research is, I think, pretty clear on that from what I've read. Uh, and so, you know, if we could change that format, whether we change to something a bit like what the ACT do, I don't know, where you still have your early entry pathways, you have interview pathways in the university, and then you have uh, some kind of more generic mm -hmm. exams if you need to, to generate a, an entry rank number. Yeah. Um, at the end, that those students that want to go to university could then sit those, you know, two or three papers, a little bit longer ones with NAPLAN, dare I say. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, more of an aptitude kind of test than anything else that we could use to rank, you know, the strongest to the not-so-strongest students. Um, I think that would be a, a much better way to go. I think that would then yeah. free teachers up to, um, you know, worry less about covering every single dot-point word that's in a syllabus document that can be 200 pages long and instead look for opportunities for real deep learning mm -hmm. and get students really get their teeth into yep. concepts and school development and, you know, things oh, that they want to achieve. Well, geez, that's nothing, uh, no, no major change there at all then. Um, or we can <laughs> just get rid of the HSC exam and just have a portfolio based from kindergarten through year 12 of everything you're able to, you know, like a, a, a taste style competency. You've ticked, you know, you can do X, Y, Z and... Oh, before, we, before we finish off... I'll, Careful with that though. Uh, <laughs> I know, uh, as I said, I love goading Pete. Um, <laughs> voting sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we're not too black and white on their ticking boxes. Uh, okay. uh, uh, I'll, I'll bring you to a tweet that I actually saw a while ago as well by Dr. Sure. Nathan Lang Rad. Nathan yeah, yeah. Lang Rad, right? Okay. Cool. So he wrote, "Are we impressed by high test scores, good grades, high GPA, compliant behaviour, and perfect attendance, or are we impressed by creating outside the box, communicating effectively, sincerity, integrity, and grit?" Now I argue that look, it's a false dichotomy. You can have both. You can't. It's not. You know, just because, um, just because um, you know, you've got a high test. You know, just because we 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 um, we praise or we uh, we admire that high test score doesn't mean that we don't care about grit. Because chances are, the person who got that high test score shows a high amount of grit. And I know you just said that. You know, you can't really test some of those skills in an exam. However, why can't we have both? Because some things in that second list, like grit, communicating effectively, then do help you have high GPAs and good grades and high test scores. Yeah. It's, it's a complex argument. It's a complex uh, thing to look at because at the moment, we've got a system that emphasises one half of that and not the other mm -hmm. in many respects. If we're going to have both, we need to look at where we, where we really want to put our, our energies. Uh, what is, not, we, not, not is, what is what is important, but how do we get both? Because at the moment, the system is heavily weighted towards an exam scenario and the high grades and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we get both then? How about both? Probably with what I suggested there before. Um, it's taking away the the standardised nature of the HSE exams. Mm -hmm. 
Um, maybe portfolio-based, like we said. Maybe mm-hmm. not over 13 years of education. Oh, that was, but, just, a, but, that was just an idea. It wasn't a... <laughs> I, I, I don't mind it, but I just, I'm just i imagining the, the servers and the data collection that would go with that. Oh, we'll just, we'll just code something to do it for us, babe. That's fine. <laughs> if only. If only. If they did our reports and we do that, it'd be wonderful. Uh, oh, that would be great. We code, <laughs> we code a bot to just write reports for us. We'll be millionaires. Oh. We'll be millionaires. All right, anyways, we're painting that idea. Just put that on record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. And I think, you know, we still want students to work hard and want to achieve, but we've got to give them the, the reasons to do that too. I yeah. think that's where the real world learning and giving them a stage to operate on. Like the students, come back to the balloon launch that I saw over the weekend that I've seen with some other projects, the trivia night that we do, and the other IPT course for the Children's Hospital at Westmead, um, and even the RA course, the different things that I've, I've, I've done there in our project-based learning. You give them a, a platform to perform on and a reason to do it that motivates them. Yep. And they'll work harder than they've ever worked before. Uh, I saw it, you know, they gave up their weekend to come down to Griffith um, to be part of that balloon launch and they worked 14, 15 hour days gathering data, checking things, testing things, setting up, videoing, being the TV host for the, the live um, webcast, the, um, you know, checking facts and figures, all of that, you know. Um, and, and they were so hard, those students. And so... Because it's authentic and it's real. Authentic and it's real and it means something to them. Yeah. You know. And that's what you want in education. You want it to be authentic, Absolutely. want it to be real, want it to be meaningful. But the question always is, and we're not going to answer it now because it's it, let's leave it rhetorical. on a, let's leave this on a rhetorical philosophical debate of how do we get that? How do we ensure that it's always going to be authentic, realistic, and meaningful, and not just uh, lip service to make it seem uh, authentic, realistic, and meaningful? I know you can't see us, but we're both shrugging our shoulders and. Uh, and we're looking it's, at each other like, I don't really know. It's a great really question. Know. It's a great question. And well, I'm a great host for this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> look, Mr. Pete Collins, thank you so much for giving up your time. Is there any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with? Oh, um, <laughs> I think keep at it. I think uh, change is the only inevitable in life. And uh, I think if we uh, keep moving forward in education and keep... Um, Keep looking for the changes that we want so we can give our students uh, you know, the best opportunities we can. Thank you very much, Pete. Thanks, Marco. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au